Matthew chapter 7, as we are really doing a series on the studies, uh, studies in the life of Christ, and we are going to close this morning our study in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' greatest sermon he ever preached. And he ends this sermon with, a, again, a parable that is of the utmost importance to uh, every Christian, to every human being, really, that uh, has breath. And uh, do pray that, again, we would give it full attention and truly you know, examine ourselves, as Paul said, because uh, Jesus is going to make this very clear. And this, the message is those who listen and those who don't. And we're going to go look at verses, the last, uh, verses 24 through 28 of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus up to now has counseled us <clears throat> about two paths. He's, he's counseled us about two trees. And now he's going to counsel us about or picturing two builders and the houses that they build. The two paths that Jesus counseled us on represents the start of the life of faith. The two trees represent the growth and results of the life of faith here and now. And the two houses represent the end of this life of faith, when God is going to call everyone to judgment. Now, there are false prophets at the gate that leads to the broad way. And Jesus said, many go there. And it makes it easy to enter at that broad gate because of the false prophets with their faults, you know, with their lies and their false advertisements. But at the end of the way, of that broad way, that broad, narrow way, at the end of that way, there's destruction. Terrible destruction. The final test is not what we think about ourselves or what others might think. The final test is, what will God say about my life that I lived here on earth? Jesus ends his Sermon on the Mount with his judgment of the listeners and the judgment by the listeners, all of which focus on and show their understanding on the sermon of holy behavior. Jesus gives the parable of two builders. One builds his house on the rock, the other builds his house on the sand. And this parable judges how the listener responds to the sermon by showing the right and wrong response of the listeners to what Jesus teaches. This is the last thing Jesus said in, in this sermon. And it's a very appropriate way, a very fitting way to close his sermon because it deals with the need to apply the truth that, that, that you hear to your life. You see, Jesus gave his listeners plenty to hear in the Sermon on the Mount. Plenty that they needed to apply to their own lives. Jesus had prepared a wonderful table of truth for them, and now they needed to eat from that truth. So, uh, again, uh, hold on, I got my, my notes out of order here, but I'm back in, in gear here. He said, at this parable, he urges them to do so, to eat from this table of truth. It's been said that no sermon should be without some personal application to the consequences of those who hear it. 
In other words, if a sermon doesn't have an application to your life, what good is the sermon? If you sit and you hear the teaching of the Word of God and you don't apply it to your life, why? Why listen to the sermon? What's the purpose? The reason we listen to the Word of God is to apply it to our life. And the problem that Jesus is dealing with here is hearing him speak, but not doing what he says. Now that makes sin, that that makes it a sin problem. To sit in church, to hear his word taught, but then we don't do it. That makes it a sin problem. Hearing what Jesus said, but not doing what he said is simply a problem of disobedience. Hearing must be turned into doing. If not, then disobedience occurs. And disobeying Jesus is sin because Jesus is God. Jesus had given many standards and many teachings, teachings in the Sermon on the Mount that needed to be applied to the listeners' lives. Now, Jesus didn't gather on the hill on this sermon, for the Sermon on the Mount just to enjoy a sunny afternoon on a mountaintop. He didn't gather there with the people just to hear himself talk. Failure of the listener to apply these truths was disobedience. Jesus did not give these sermons to entertain, but to live them. And he was speaking to tell people how to live. So it was mandatory for the people to apply to their lives what he said to them. And refusing to do so meant that they were refusing to obey him. Now, we need to hear sermons. We need to read our Bible. We need to study the Word of God. But if we don't apply them to our lives, all of the hearing and all of the studying won't do us any good, but it will condemn us. The very word that you refuse to obey will in the end condemn you. And you'll have nobody to blame but yourself. This problem of hearing the Word of God but not doing it has been going on since creation. And it's such a common problem that is dealt with over and over and over again in the Bible. Listen to what God said in Ezekiel 33, 31 through 32. God says, so my people come pretending to be sincere and sit before you, Ezekiel. They listen to your words, but they have no intention of doing what you say. Their mouths are full of lustful words and their hearts seek only after money. You are very entertaining to them, Ezekiel. You're like somebody who sings love songs with a beautiful voice or plays a fine music or plays fine music on an instrument. They hear what you say, but they don't act on it. James 1, 22 through 25, James says, But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, which is a, a picture of the word, and notice, continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. The blessing comes in the doing, not the listening. Paul said in Romans 2.13, For not the hearers of the law are just in the, God, in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Not, just not, you know, listening to the word of God, listening to, to his word, that doesn't justify us in the sight of God. 
We can listen all day long, but that doesn't justify us. Those who do the will of God, Paul said, will be justified. So these people were nothing but talk. They did not walk in the ways of God. And a lot of people call Jesus Lord, but they don't live as though he was the Lord of their lives. To them, Jesus is just a name, not a way of life. Jesus' teaching here does not teach the way of salvation now. It's not the way of works that, that saves us. When it says he who does these things, he's talking about those who apply his word to their lives. So what Jesus does here in this parable, he puts those who are listening into one of these two groups. And it is they either listen or they don't listen to what he said. Plain and simple. At the beginning of the parable, there's the wise man who built his house on the rock. And then there's the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And at the end of the parable, there's the house that stood and there's the house that fell. How you respond to what God says will basically always put you in one of these two categories. You see, with God, things are either right or wrong. They're either good or evil, true or false, wise or foolish, Saved or lost, heaven or hell. And here we want to point out this important truth of these two categories because it's needed, especially in our day, which has tried to invent a bunch of other categories besides these two. And the Bible definitely supports the two truths about the two groups or the one truth about the two groups because you see the two groups are emphasized all through the Bible. For example, in Deuteronomy 30, 19, it says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Notice, God said, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Jeremiah 21, 8. Now you shall say to this people, thus says the Lord, behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. You see, it's either life or death. If it's not life, then it's death. It's either blessing or cursing. If it's not blessing, then it's cursing. The Bible says that Elijah challenged the Israelite people on the Mount of Carmel with two choices. Listen to what he told them in in 1 Kings 18.21. He asked them, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. There was no, there is no third choice. In Psalm 1, there's only two types of people, godly people or ungodly, sinners or righteous. All men fall into one of the two categories. Now, the world doesn't like this. They don't like this simplistic conclusion of just two groups. You see, they want a bunch of other groups so that they can cover up their evil and and make their sin look more respectable and acceptable. You see, when we talk about something being either right or wrong, good or evil, true or false, the world objects. They hate it. They don't like it. They say, you just, you can't, you can't make it so simplistic. You see, life is more complex. You can't narrow it down to just right or wrong. But they're not. (laughs) Jesus is. Jesus said men either obey or they don't. 
The builder is either wise or foolish, and his house either stands or falls. But people just don't like to admit that there are only two categories because it condemns their evil. Because if you're not good, you're evil. Plain and simple. And if you're evil, you're not good. The last thing that they want is for their evil to condemn them. So they try to make more than two categories. And this parable that that finishes Christ's teaching uh, in his Sermon on the Mount is about two builders who built houses. The two builders, they were very much alike in many ways with their construction. And from the street, if you stood back and you looked, the two houses would look identical, use the same materials. They probably both attended the same church, both families, you know. And so from the outside, it looked identical. But there was a huge difference. And that's what Jesus is going to show us here. This great contrast, which has to do with the foundation of the house, showed the difference between those who hear the word of God and those who and, and do it, and those who hear the word of God and don't do it. You see, it isn't about the outside of the house, it's what went on inside the house. What goes on inside the house. Let's begin now with verse 24 of chapter 7 and Jesus says therefore and then therefore it takes us back to what he has just previously said therefore whoever hears these sayings of mine and the sayings of mine represent the word of God therefore hears these sayings of mine and does them I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock now there are two important things to notice about the wise man building about the wise man's building now, in Luke 6, 48, it says, In the wise builder's work and effort, he dug deep to reach a rock foundation for his house. Both the digging and how deep he dug are emphasized in the words dug deep in Luke six forty eight. Now, our English translation doesn't give the full force of the Greek words he dug. They would be translated more literally, digged and deepened. So the idea is that he dug and deepened down into solid rock. He digged and went deep into the solid rock. Now, this is hard work. You know, if you ever had to dig into rocky, hard ground, it is tough. You know, I've, you know, dug holes in in hard, rocky ground after a half a foot or a foot. I quit. You throw that shovel in there and it jars your arm or you, put, you kick it down in your foot and it slips off. It just, it's hard. But check this out. In building some houses in Bible lands, the builder had to go down as deep as 30 feet to strike rock. That's what it says this man did. He dug down to the rock. He dug deep. He dug deep to find a rock foundation to build his house on. All of this emphasizes that being a Christian and doing what Jesus said, it's not easy. It's not easy to do. We know that after Jesus' lesson, he taught us that about the the, the lesson of, of the two paths earlier in verses 13 through 14. The straight and narrow, which, you know, not few get there, and then the wide, broad way, which many went on there. The right way wasn't as easy, wasn't an easy way. Because the gate was straight and the narrow, and narrow was the way. 
which tells us again, following Jesus Christ can be very difficult in a lot of ways. Like the house that's built on the rock. You see, the house that's built on the rock, it may cause him pain, it may cause him labor, it may cause him self-denial, but isn't that what Jesus said? If any man comes and follows after me, let him deny deny himself. It may cause putting away pride and self-righteousness. It's a call to crucify the rebellious flesh. It's to put on the mind of Christ. It's to take up the cross every single day. It's to count all things as loss for Jesus' sake. This is all hard work. But like the house built on the rock, this is the kind of Christianity that's going to stand. Now, naturally, the world would like to see us think otherwise. They'd like us to think there's other, other ways than right and wrong. They mock Christianity. They mock Jesus Christ because it requires a lot of dedication and a lot of commitment to be a follower of Christ. This also, the wise man building on the rock, it also shows us his wisdom. Jesus said, the wise man who built his house on the rock, the wise man. The great wisdom of this man was to build his house on the rock from the start. The word translated wise means prudent, it means sensible, from Vine's Greek dictionary. And this builder was truly prudent. He was sensible in the way that he built his house in regards to his foundation. First of all, he chose a foundation. And and a lot of what we do in life is a choice. And a lot of the consequences that we experience in life is due to choices that we make. But the wise man chose a rock foundation. And as we've seen in the digging by the builder, this man chose to build his house on a solid rock foundation, which could only be found by digging deep into the ground. There's a huge difference in foundations between rock and sand, as anybody can see. The rock is solid, it's uh, unmovable, and it's not changed by times, times or current fads and, and, and you know, uh, fashions that, that blow through the country. It makes an excellent foundation to build on. And a good foundation is very important if you want to be successful in building a house. And, I, I, every, you know, and, and anyone who builds a house, builds a family, builds a home... I doubt that they ever intend for that family to to break up or a relationship to break up or that home to break up. But it's all going to depend upon what you build your home on and your family on. The rock foundation makes an excellent foundation to build on. A good foundation is so important if you want to be successful in building a house and building your home and building your family. Secondly, he had a concern about the foundation. He was concerned about the kind of foundation he built on. You see, the person who takes their time to dig deep until he hits rock and then builds his house on the rock, that is a person who thinks about the future and not just about the here and now. You see, this man expects the storms of life. A lot of people think it'll never happen to me. It only happens to other people, but it'll never happen to me. He doesn't go about his life 
as if it will happen to him. Spiritually speaking, people need to also think about the hereafter. One day we're all going to die. But they don't make any plans for their future. And when you don't do that, it's going to lead to eternal disaster. So it's very foolish for a man to put the main emphasis in life here on earth, in the here and now, rather than on the hereafter. And besides bringing eternal loss of everything that's of value, this unwise emphasis lowers man to to be like an animal in both of his thinking and his behavior. John Tillotson of the 1600 says, He who provides for this life but takes no care for eternity is wise for a moment but a fool forever. How right on he is. Thomas Carlyle said, He who has no vision of eternity will never get a true hold of time. One of the critical judges, one of the critical indictments of Israel was that they wouldn't think about the future. They wouldn't think about the future. And I remember when I was younger, I never thought this day would come. When I'd be 70 some years old. That's so far away. In my 20s, I used to ask for my friends, retirement. I'm saving for no retirement. I'm going to spend my money today. Sure wish I'd have thought differently back then. (laughs) Because you think it's never going to get here. And you wake up one day and you realize, man, I got more years behind me than I got in front of me. How did that happen? (laughs) By not listening to wisdom. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling us here. Again, it's it's foolish to to think that the future is never going to get here. Because it happens overnight. And again, that was that was the indictment against Israel. Moses said about Israel, oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. One day it is going to come to a close. A lot of people still think like that in every age. To put the main emphasis in life on the world is to lose the most valuable thing of all, your soul. There's no no greater loss that can be experienced than, than losing your soul. For those who focus mainly on the here and now, suffering, fear, and heartache are going to be your closest friends. But you see, in the afterlife, there will be no suffering. There will be no heartache. There will be no fear. In the afterlife, it can be a different story for those who are in Christ because that's where our real hope is. Where righteousness rules and where there's joy and where there's peace forever. There's nothing more important to prepare for than a man's soul after he leaves this life. Then there's the comparison to the foundation. What does the rock foundation speak of in this parable? It speaks of Jesus Christ and his word. Verse 24 says, Whoever hears these sayings of mine, that is his word, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Doing what Jesus said is building on a rock. 
His word is the solid foundation that we are to build our house on. Now, some would separate the word, uh, the, his word from who he is. That is, some would separate the word of Jesus from Jesus in this comparison. But you can't. Jesus is the word. He is the word. And what a man says cannot be separated from the man. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 18, those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. That's what's in the man's heart. That's what he is. So the rock represents Jesus Christ's word. Therefore, Christ himself. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3.11, he said, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Paul also gave another reference to Jesus as the rock when he was speaking about Israel in the wilderness. 1 Corinthians 10.4, Paul said, And all drank the same spiritual rock, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. There are a lot of references to God as a rock, many of them in the Psalms. And since Jesus Christ is God, these are all references to Jesus too. Building upon Christ, which means building on what he said has never, ever been popular. Most of the world wants to build their lives on anything but Jesus. They don't want Jesus. They don't want his word. They don't want him or their word in their lives. But our parable says it's the wise man who builds on the rock and it's the foolish man who doesn't build on the rock. Look at verse 26 now. Jesus said, Everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now we're going to look at the main characteristics of the foolish man. First characteristic, how fast he was to build something structurally unsound. Isn't that something? He was quick to build something that wouldn't last. What a waste of time. He didn't dig deep. He didn't build his house on a solid foundation. Instead, he chose to, no, he chose to build on sand. He builds his house a lot faster than the wise man. Probably thinking how clever he was and how smart he was. But again, his speed indicated his foolishness. It didn't indicate his wisdom. Speed doesn't always mean success. The speed of the foolish man shows us at least two significant habits of sin. First of all, shortcuts. We love shortcuts, don't we? We love shortcuts. Sin always promises to give you things now. Remember when Jesus was led into the wilderness and Satan was tempting him? And he took him to the top of the pinnacle and, and, and he told Jesus, look out there. All that you see, I can give to you. If you'll bow down and worship me. Don't go to the cross, Jesus. Don't go through all that suffering and pain and sorrow. Just bow down and worship. The shortcut, take the shortcut, Jesus. I'll give you all of this. But Jesus knew that wasn't the way. We love shortcuts. 
We are a generation of people who want things fast. We are a generation of shortcuts. Shortcuts appeal to the flesh. We don't like waiting. We don't like lines. We want it now. And like I said, sin says, sin says you can have it now. Sin says you can be rich. Gamble. You know, sell drugs. Get caught up in some uh, get-rich-quick schemes. Sin says you can have sex now. Why wait till you're married? But none of man's so-called clever schemes is looked at as clever, but it's looked at as foolish by God. Jesus said the foolish man built his house on the, word, on the sand. We get our English word moron from the word foolish. It was a willful neglect. That is, the man knew better. He knew better than to build his house on the sand, but he did it anyway. And how many people do the same thing with the word of God? They know better. But they're going to do it their way. And then the parable closes with a great crisis, a storm. Look at verse 25. Jesus said, The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. Now, this Jesus is describing a very great and violent storm. Now, this, this storm here, it represents the storms of life. Because the storms of life are going to come. But when they come, is the house that you're living in going to stand upon it? Or is it going to stand against the storm? Is it going to crumble? Is it going to fall? Now, this storm wasn't expected. Just like the storms of life aren't expected. But storms are a part of life. But we act like, again, we don't expect them. We, we act like they're not going to come. You know, a loss of a job, a loss of a loved one, a, a terminal illness. So when you build your house, you need to build it strong enough to make it through the storms. Both houses are going to go through the storms. The foolish man's house and the wise man's house, they're both going to go through the storms. But the way the houses, uh, the, the way the houses live through the storm are very different in how it's affected the two houses. The house built on the rock, it says, Jesus, it, it didn't fall. The one built on the sand fell. And Scripture tells the reason why the one house made it through the storm was that it was built on the rock. It was built on the rock. Jesus and his word are all the support that we need in order to stand through the trials and through the temptations. Jesus and his word will give us the support that we need through all of the storms that, we, that, that, that are common in life to man. And if the listeners will pay attention to Christ's words, they will survive the storms of life. Jesus says the house that was built on the sand fell, but notice what Jesus added to it. It didn't just fall. Great was its fall. Great was its fall. It's terrible when a house falls, when a family falls, when it breaks apart. 
Spiritually speaking, though, the great loss represents the loss of the soul of that one who didn't come to Jesus for salvation. There, can't, there can be no greater loss. In closing, the two ways tell us to examine the cost of our profession. Have we paid a price to profess faith in Jesus Christ? The two trees that Jesus taught about earlier tell us to examine whether our lives have really changed. Have they really changed? Are there godly fruits from your lives? Are there godly fruits from our lives? After the two houses, uh, and then the two houses, they remind us that the true faith in Christ will last, not only in the storms of life, but also in the final judgment. And after Jesus got through preaching his Sermon on the Mount, the people were blown away. They were amazed. They were astonished. Look at verses 28 and 29. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The reason that the people were so blown away is because Jesus taught things they hadn't heard before. Jesus spoke with divine authority. You see, when the scribes and the Pharisees spoke, they often quoted some other rabbi or some other expert of the law, some other authority. And they would repeat, oh, well, so-and-so says, and so because they would, they would repeat what somebody else would say to add authority to what they were saying. But they said, this man, Jesus, he spoke with authority. Jesus didn't need uh, uh, somebody to, to quote. He didn't, he didn't need a human teacher to add authority to his words because, you see, he spoke as the Son of God. So we can take this, we, we can't take this sermon lightly. Why? Because it is God who gave it to us. Therefore, we must either bow before him and submit to his authority or we will be condemned. Those who hear the word of Jesus but don't do it are headed for great ruin. It will come fast and it will be complete ruin. Don't ignore what Jesus says. Heed the words of Christ and you will be standing on the rock, the solid rock. And when the winds come and the rains come and they beat against that house, it will remain standing. If you don't listen to Christ's words, your ruin is certain and it will be great. Father, again, thank you so much for this powerful, powerful sermon, Lord. God, we thank you and I pray that Father, as we've gone through these lessons on the Sermon on the Mount, God, that we have listened to God and that we have made application, God, and that we recognize the truths of what Jesus said, Lord, that the road to life is narrow and the gate is Is, is, is straight, it's narrow, it's hard to get through. And the road to destruction is very broad, very, and many, many go there. And that our life either bears good fruit or bad fruit, depending on what kind of tree it is.
A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Is our life built on the sand or on the rock this morning? The worship team is going to lead us in a song of worship right now. And if you know that your life has been built on the sand or is built on the sand and you're constantly staggering and losing your balance on that foundation of sand and you know you need something solid, something sturdy to walk on, then you need to build your house on the rock. Jesus Christ. As we worship, if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you want to get on that narrow road. You want to build your house on the rock, on Christ. You want to have something solid in your life. Then as we worship, you get up out of your seat. You make your way down the aisle towards the steps up front. I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we'll say a simple prayer of faith together.